Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the Health Tech Pigeon podcast where we bring you the top news stories and analysis every single week. With me today, I have Hugh from the Somex team and I have Matteo Baluki, and he is the founder of Healthily. Um, Matteo, welcome to the Health Tech Pigeon podcast. How are you doing, sir? I'm very well, thanks James. Nice to see you, Hugh. Great to be here again. Excellent. Yeah, delighted to have you, Matteo. Um, obviously, you've been on the Health Tech Podcast, which is my other one, and you've done a heck of a long intro on that one. But uh, for the benefit of the listeners of this one, uh, who are you? What do you do? And uh, how do you do it? Matteo, I'm an Italian, as the name gives away very easily. Um, but I've lived in England for most of my life. I, I train as a physicist, but I had always a passion for computers. So I dropped physics for computing. And then I uh, started a PhD at Imperial College in computing, which I also dropped to do my first startup in 1995. I built the first website to help people find their homes online. And then since then, I've done around fully 10 other startups. And uh, so a lot of scars, a lot of learnings, and uh, <laughs> a lot of interesting people on the way. And uh, and what I do now since 2015, I've been working on Healthily and our dream and vision is to try to use technology to help people find the health information they need to be able to make better decisions and manage their health better. Excellent. So the reason that you're on today is obviously in Pigeon this week, we have a, well, we're experimenting with a new sort of breaking news story uh part of the newsletter and you got in touch to let us know a, f- a couple of things that you're up to in this space now as you've mentioned previously uh we live in a world of headlines and there are a lot of headlines at the moment or have been a lot of headlines at the moment about large language models about changing healthcare we've seen what microsoft and nuance are doing we've seen what MedPalm 2 or MedPalm M, I believe, is the latest version. There's lots of noise in this space about what is going on and things that can feel quite new. There's a lot of companies trying to hang their hats on this kind of language and this kind of product and these types of companies and integrations and all these different things. And it's sort of a bit confusing, a bit overwhelming. But you are somebody who has been in this space a long time, who has built an AI model, and I know this from our last podcast, that it takes eight years, or it took you eight years to build an AI model credibly for healthcare in the right way, uh, with the right process, doing the right things, getting this regulated as a medical device. So it's important for people to realize, I think, that these things take time and you don't just turn up in the space with the ability to deliver a product to patients in AI or in large language models or any of these things. But the reason that you're on today is because you are up to something in this space. And I would like you to explain what that is and how you are going about doing it. Uh, There's no doubt that large language models and generative AI are going to be, I think, the biggest revolution in digital for the coming years and you know it's probably the, the big thing after the internet itself you know instead of the you know cryptocurrencies and you know the web 3.0 all that stuff which is really interesting but this is really profound because it takes computing to a, a new level and so 
the as you said, the, obviously there's a most people will be familiar with the hype curve. If you haven't looked, you know, look it up on Google. But basically, there's the hype goes, go across, go across. People get uh, fear of missing out, FOMO, so lots of money gets deployed very fast. You know, in sometimes in very often silly ways, and then you reach the peak when people realize that things take longer always to actually make it into the market. And you know. And I thought, you know, I mentioned that I started in 1995. It means that I was there in 1999 during the bubble. And it was exactly the same. So people were just throwing money at every idea. And then they realized that it'll probably take 10, 15 years for those companies to become profitable. So like the valuation drops. So I, st- I think we are still on the growing up curve of the hype. We haven't reached the peak yet. And and then after that, there is the famous valley of disillusionment when people realize, oops, this is actually a lot harder. And and I think we're probably going to get there sometime next year, probably in the next sort of nine to 12, 12 months. So what I kind of reached out to you guys to tell you was that because we have spent eight years uh, working on this problem of how do you help people find the right health information which, you know, what the right health information means a few things. It has to be relevant to you. And that's probably the hardest thing. Because if you have a headache, there are roughly 120 medical conditions that a headache has a symptom. So if you Google it, you're not going to find necessarily that one out of 120 that is relevant to you. Because Google will just give you the most visited pages for headache. So it's really difficult for people that don't have knowledge of healthcare, they're not being trained as healthcare professionals, to see through the amount of information that is out there, which is huge, and actually being able to condense it and kind of narrow it down to the things that are really relevant to you. And so that's the problem we try to solve. And and the first thing we built is this AI uh, we call it AI triage or AI navigator essentially is able to take in more information from you because if you said you have a headache uh, you know, no one's got enough information to say well okay you know sorry <laughs> you know you need more information so we have this AI that creates a conversation and is capable of asking the right questions and narrow down to the most likely con- condition that is causing the symptoms and then gives you not a diagnosis but a recommendation says james your headache you know there are no red flags nothing to worry seems all okay uh you know go to pharmacy get some you know ibuprofen paracetamol and you your headache you know given your symptoms maybe it's covid is one of the symptoms and so on right so you give people really actionable safe information so first thing has to be personalized and it can only be done with a particular type of ai which we can cover in a bit it has to be safe because if the headache is meningitis, you know, you can't miss that. <laughs> because then, you know, you can't just break things and, you know, move fast and break things. In this space, you kill people. So you have to be really, really put safety at the core of everything you do. And then the information, the third part of the information has to be really easy to understand. It has to be digestible. Because, again, people don't have that baggage of knowledge to be able to you know, understand medical things at a certain depth 
So that's what we built. Then the LLMs came out back in the winter and what they brought to this type of problem, you know, kind of the, the innovation that, that these LLMs can do is that they can turn a search experience, like you're going to Google and do headache, into a much more native conversation where if you have the right elements behind, kind of under the bonnet, you can then be much more targeted and relevant to what the user is, is searching for. And, and when it comes to seeking health advice or health information online, there's only two scenarios. You either have a question, is vitamin D good for me? How do I get more vitamin D? Or you have symptoms. And we know this because we've done it for 80 years. We run a chatbot with millions of users, so we've classified all the questions. And so these two, and this is boils, it really boils down to this. Can I answer a question with an answer that is medically validated and is clear and it's simple and it's the correct answer to your question? This is what LLMs are very good at doing. Take that in a second. The second one is I have symptoms. What should I do? And then you need a different type of AI that can deal with that. And, and so the LLM, and this is what we're announcing on Monday, is that we're working on integrating LLM with our AI triage and our information, which is all medically verified, to create a unified experience, which is completely fluid and seamless, where essentially you can talk to a chatbot as if you were talking to a healthcare profession, and get really high quality, medically validated answers and or advice on what to do in case you have some symptoms. So essentially the story here is that in a world of ChatGPT and BARD, let's say, where there is no medical device regulation anywhere near them and people should not be using that to explore their symptoms because of the data that it's accessing is just so broad to your point around using a search engine. It's just going to return something from the internet. What you're saying is what you've built, or you confirm it for me, you're saying that what you've built is essentially leveraging the power of one of these large language models, but applying it to a data set you already have, which is, the library of content that you've created by clinicians over time, if I've understood that correctly. That, that is correct. So if you look at, you know, I think it's important to split the problem of health information into two. One thing is creating services for healthcare professionals. And the other one is creating services for end users. The two very different worlds. And the main difference is that if you create a service for a healthcare professional, the healthcare professional ultimately should have the knowledge and more importantly, they have the responsibility of the decision they take on that information. Yeah. So MedPalm would be fantastic. They can pass medical exams. So if a healthcare professional uses generative AI, it's okay to an extent, because in theory, even if the AI gives them the wrong or something that is incorrect, the healthcare pressure should be able to notice that. Another thing is for consumers, because consumers have, you know, really the knowledge on healthcare is the lowest in any realm of knowledge of humanity, simply because it's the hardest. 
And so you cannot use this technology, as you said, with consumers because they don't have the capability to know if you're just coming up with stunk, you know, hallucinations, as they call them, or if it's correct. You know, how am I supposed to know? I don't know. You know, I'm not a doctor. And so what we propose is that instead of trying to, to train or teach an LLM to just give you information from a verified data set, I mean, if you think about it, actually, just go kind of a logical process. If you want an LLM to only give you answers from a defined data set, then it's not really very different from search. Mm. Because if I type in a question, is vitamin D good for me? And I can only give you an answer that comes from a very medically verified data set, then I could as well just run search, say is vitamin D good for me, find the answer in my data set and give it to you. And in reality, this is what's happening because what you will see is that in this area where you want to use the LLM to be very controlled, we believe, and this is what we're doing, and this is, we think is the right way to do it, to provide a safe service, is to combine the LLM with search. Because the value of the LLM is not going to be in finding the right information, because you can do that with search, but it's to create the conversation, which search cannot do. So the beauty of the large language model is that I can ask a question, say, what is vitamin D good for me? And you can find a paragraph in an article that says vitamin D is very important. You should take, you know, 20 minutes a day in the sunshine. The LLM will take that and turn it into an answer. Say, yes. Vitamin D is very good for you. And then you can ask, okay, how do I get more vitamin D? Or I just say, how do I get more of it? And the LLM will know that you're talking about vitamin D. So you create a conversation where the LLM is handling and maintaining the conversation, the context, but the answers are always driven by a fixed data set, which is controlled and verified. Now, this, in theory, works pretty much all the time, you could still probably get the LLM to come up with incorrect answers because depending on how you ask the question during the conversation, you might create some logical loopholes, you know, using some negatives that the LLM, might, but that's quite minor. And this is what we're working on. This is why we're not releasing yet because we're working on trying to control as much as possible the situation where not so much hallucination, because in this context, if you combine LLM with search, you don't really hallucinate, but it's when the LLM might misinterpret the question. And we think you will see this for like, for example, for customer service bots, they will all probably be done like this. They will leverage the FAQ of a company, the knowledge base of the company. And you cannot allow the LLM to go broader, as you said, because then you have no control. You don't know what the LLM is going to answer. So a lot of these bots will have pretty strong guardrails. And so if you ask, you know, who won the workout to our bot, which is called DOT, it will say, sorry, I don't have this information in my knowledge base, so I can't really help. It's not going to try to generate like, you know, the big LLMs, you know, generate some sort of answer in any case. That's a problem with those systems. And so presumably that consumer versus clinician line is how we differentiate something like this from 
other med- yeah, healthcare chatbots uh, powered by LLMs that are coming out across the pond, things like K-Health, things like Hippocratic AI, where they're attempting, a di- attempting to support a diagnostic function, whereas this is very much helping real people access health information that will make their own lives better or enrich their understanding? Well, y- y- yes and no. It's a, it's a good question. Anything that is consumer-facing, in, in our opinion, will have to handle the two scenarios I mentioned before. So it's either a question or you have symptoms. Now, if you're dealing, it's okay, health, that you mentioned Hippocratic, they're all for consumers. They're not for clinicians. They have a back end where the clinician can see the data, which we also have, but their main interface is for end users. So the problem with building that product is that in order to answer both types of situations, you need a medical um, validated library. And that's for the answers. So what's vitamin D? You need to have an article that explains everything about vitamin D. If you don't have that article, where are you going to get the data? Okay, Nobody's going to give it to you because publicly available data like NHS, uh, the CDC in the US cannot be used for commercial purposes. Right? You can use it for your own, but you cannot sell it. You cannot create a product around it. Private companies that have medical libraries, then just going to keep it very close to their chest because if you're WebMD or Healthline, you know, big health websites, they're going to build their own bot for sure at some point where you go to WebMD and they'll have a chat and you can ask your questions there. The unique thing about Healthfully is that we got both the library and the triage because WebMD and Healthline don't have the triage and the companies that have the triage don't have the library. <laughs> So, and this is because we worked on this for eight years. And as our focus has always been on information, we pretty early on realized that we needed both. Because if I have a fantastic AI that tells you whether you need to see the doctor or not, the problem is that if I then say, well, you don't need to see the doctor because you have hay fever, then what's the next thing you want to know? What is hay fever? How do I treat it? You know, what can I do? And if I don't give you that information, what happens? You're all back on Google. And then you find a blog by a celebrity that says you treat with hay fever with pineapple juice in your eyes, you know, and so on. So we are kind of found ourselves in this juncture, which is really lucky in a way, because we spent a lot of money and time building a medically validated library, building a medically validated triage system, which we have available on our website. So you can search the content, do the kind of symptom checking. But LLM allows us to bring them together in a completely new and unique user experience, which is much easier for the user because it gives you answers. And if you type in symptoms, it will automatically say, oh, sorry, you got some symptoms. Do you want to get an assessment? So they're all kind of completely seamless to the user. It's not like, oh, I'm going to search for an article, then I'm going to do a symptom check. You know, you don't need to switch with your mind. So that's what I think is really interesting about the power of these LLMs in our context. One thing that I want to ask you on there, Matteo, is, is, is some of that easier experience because one of the things that LLMs are incredibly good at is the conversational elements and therefore building trust. You talked about the, the difference between search and LLMs and search returning 
certain things, but even combining an LLM to just improve search, the way it delivers the information just really builds trust. That's obviously an incredible superpower, but there's a huge amount of responsibility that also comes along with that. It, it sort of feels to me like that's so much about what's going to make applying large language models almost commercially viable because it's going to allow the companies that implement them to actually get those people using them to do the thing, to trust the thing. So do you think about that trust element and do you think about the responsibility that that gives you and do you all but do you also think about that hey that's actually what's going to make these things actually work because it's going to get the end users to do the thing i'm interested how do you think about the trust argument yeah that's a great question so trust is after eight years doing digital health trust is the most important thing and it's also the biggest challenge because if you look at the various surveys, I think you got a, a, an article in your newsletter this week on Pigeon about trust. If you ask people, you know, you have very varied results. Some people say, oh, yeah, I'm happy to use AI. I'm not happy. I'm happy to share the data. I'm not happy. And the, the opportunity and the challenge for us collectively as innovators in digital health to move forward healthcare as a whole is to really try to break this trust barrier down because that is the single biggest handicap that AI has against traditional healthcare is the human in the loop. The human in the loop is what people trust. You go to see a healthcare professional, you know, they got the nice white coats and they got the you know certificate behind the wall <laughs> and you know doctor here, doctor there. Maybe on and TV they trust, do it, you know. <laughs> and, decreasingly and so in the UK. I know, but as, as I'm sure you know, you know that trust is is blind. You trust the doctor, you know whether he's right or wrong. It doesn't matter. You know people don't question whether the doctor is right or wrong. They just question whether they have access to a doctor or not, and you know how much it costs and how long it takes them to see one. Now, obviously, we know all the numbers. No point discussing here, but you know healthcare is on its knees everywhere you know, for lots of different reasons. So I believe that digital health is the only way to support and amplify a crumbling healthcare system globally. But this is going to be the problem, the trust. So I hope, you know, there are a couple of things there. So as you said, I think it's really interesting that people seem to trust ChatGPT kind of intuitively, which could be a really power, you know, like a real ace how power leaves for people that develop this technology because when they use simple checkers or read the information on the web, there's a bit more mm, I'm not so sure. Totally agree. Totally agree. So that's a really interesting thing. Maybe this technology, that kind of tone of confidence that the chatbots have with LLM could help, you know. But obviously, as you said, you need to use it properly because if you give an authoritative answer and it's wrong, that obviously that's really bad. And I think that where you see the difference, I think, between companies that are understand how complex this is and don't just go out making announcements. You know, as you said at the beginning, we live in a world of announcements. You just need the headline, you know, politics, business, startups, then 
whether you deliver on it or not is, yeah, who cares? <laughs> um, the trust takes time. You know, there's a beautiful English line that says, uh, trust comes on foot and lives on horseback, which I always liked a lot. And another one by JP Morgan, I said, you can lose your money many times for your trust just once. So in in this space, I mean, we'll see in Theranos and all the other things. So you, you have to do it properly. And that means you have to do it slowly. There's no two ways about it. Because to get a medical certification for a medical device class one, which is not even you know as complicated as class two, you know, we had to write a 700-page document, quality management system. You know, it had to be reviewed independently. You, know? you need to maintain certain standards. You need to have clinical safety officers. You need to have incident management systems in place. You know, and all that it can be done, huh? I'm not saying, but it takes time, you know. And, <laughs> and so I think, you know, we're lucky because we did a lot of the heavy lifting for our symptom checker and for our content. So we are going to develop and deploy this product, this chatbot, hopefully by the end of the year. And we're only going to do it if it's safe and if we're confident that it's safe, which means it's not me saying it's safe, but it's been you know, audited and validated to be safe. Um, but you know, we're starting from a good place because we have medically validated information. We have a very large library and we have a medically validated uh, triage system. So integrating those now for us, the job is really making sure that we build that conversational layer to be enjoyable, clear, simple, and safe. You talked about um, the article in the newsletter this week about trust. And just to give the listeners some context, if you haven't read the newsletter, so more than half of the UK public, 56%, don't trust the NHS to use AI to analyze their patient data, even if it would help the NHS deliver patient results faster, according to research. What it, what's your opinion on this article, Matteo? Like, in the in the interest of what you just said, because one of the concerns that, that turns up here is cybersecurity, where concerns persist, and there have been breaches. That is, uh, I think, a valid concern. But I don't know. What what do you think about this? I think that it's uh, you know obviously the data always you know if in doubt look at the data you know as a physicist. <laughs> Well, I I cannot contradict the data. And I think if I had to give you my reading of why people are skeptical, it's because the NHS, you know, despite being overall loved by the British population, because it's, uh, you know, great. Overall, it's a great service. You know, we complain all the time. But if you go to the US or other places, you know, it's still pretty good. Um, I don't think the NHS has a particularly strong history or convincing history of deploying technology in a, in a good way. You know, while people love the nurses and the doctors and, you know, good to have a, you know, liver transplant, they do it really well. But when it comes to tech, there is skepticism and, uh, and rightly so, because, you know, it's very, very difficult. And when you're handling that volume of data and that, and so sensitive when the data is so sensitive, you know, it's a really tricky one. And uh, so I understand why people are feeling a bit on the edge. 
There's always that point of look at the data with these surveys. I'm going to put my pigeon conspiracy theorist hat on now because it's just easy for me to do so. But I always find with um, public attitude surveys, and, and there's a nod to it in this week's pigeon, it's always be- uh, it helps to look at who's commissioned the survey and who's running it. Um, and I think for me, what really stood out for this one is that we're about three weeks um, on from a Bain Center, uh, no, Boston Consulting Group Center for Growth report that uh, that said that as a population, we're all incredibly happy for the NHS to use our data for whatever possible reason. Uh, we don't we don't really <laughs> care. Like 90% of us are fully happy with this. And then three weeks later, VMware, a cybersecurity firm who wants to emphasize the power, importance of trust um, in uh, the use of patient data are saying that that's not the case. I have absolutely no doubt that the surveys produced these results. Um, I would be very interested to see the sur- survey design. I suspect the actual answer is somewhere in the middle in terms of the levels yeah. of trust that are out there. And I suspect that a lot of these don't account for apathy outside of our our own you know, circle, our own digital health bubble, uh, or those aware of how data is used. And I suspect the uh, actual answer is somewhere much higher in the, frankly, a lot of people don't care. I can confront that because I've, you know, having done digital for many, many years and I've been involved in lots of surveys and things, and you're absolutely right. Fundamentally, people don't care. And and that's why you know they have you know they never change the passwords. They have very simple passwords, and you know they only care when some big story breaks out. But at the end of the day, people have no idea what data is being collected about them anyway. And and you know generally speaking, if you have a promise to do something useful with the data, you know most people will be okay with that. I mean, if you just look at cookies, you know who reads any of the terms that everyone accepts them. I mean, the, the, how many people they say no to the cookie setting? It's probably going to be five percent, yeah, ten percent max. So. All the GDPR has done is make the internet a mess for user experience. It has indeed. <laughs> There's some positives, but you know, they can use that to go down on the bad guys and find them. When they when they find them, they can find them. But yeah, you're absolutely right. But and this is another point with LLMs. There's another thing there's been reading in the last few days is uh, on the wire on the kind of the chat groups is what happens to the data that you type into an LLM because you will probably have very personal conversations <laughs> and you know especially because you could be getting questions and you, know, you have to answer and you're like. And if you're not worried about your privacy, you're going to go, oh, yeah, I'm going to tell you that, you know, this and that. And and that's a problem. And uh, there's going to be, so where does the data go? Another one's going to be, where is the data coming from? How do, what, what are, it's going to be some, I think there's going to be people raiding content online and using it for their own bots. Now, how are you going to know that that content came from that? publisher who's got the copyright for it because if the llm rephrases it you're essentially is a plagiarism you're taking somebody else's content you're using the LLM to rephrase it but without the original content you wouldn't be able to do it so well, how do you know that that you see what i'm going is like really complicated and and in my experience the regulator is always two three years behind so it'll be a window in which we'll see a lot of really strange stuff happening. <laughs> People taking advantage of this. Mm-hmm. It is funny. Like I, I actually think about that even from a 
from a communications and marketing perspective, if you look now at all the AI tools that can write and repurpose podcasts like this, you know, clips of us will turn up later with a small section of what we've said with a certain spin and the certain music in the background to elicit a certain amount. Like there's so much that can be done. And as you say, repurposed and created from scratch even, um, and our faces can now be used and they can be saying something that you haven't said. And all these different things can break down. We've talked about how large language models can build trust, but actually it starts to break down the trust in the content. Because I think part of even putting content online, whether that's medical content that's written or whether that's marketing content of a podcast or whatever, is that part of the beauty and the magic of that or the trust in that is that some work went into it. And I even see that with even LinkedIn posts or whatever. Like if you, if someone has clearly just put the time in to a LinkedIn post to make it thoughtful, to include data, to do all this and that, the other, and it's clearly then that written it, you'll like it just because of the amount of effort that's been put in. And I think one real risk is that there's so much just being diluted by the ease at which that large language models can descend onto any public space with content that actually I wonder if that conversely, much like in healthcare, the beauty remains, as you said, Matteo, between a person and a person, the human being in the loop. I wonder if small events where it's a person live talking to other people live in a room as human beings elevates in value and actually with all the advent of all this technology online we start to really up the value and the desire for being in a room of 20 people and having someone speak to you and give you information more than the desire because if you stretch the thought in the future you will not be able to know if what you see is real the only way is going to be in person. Even now. Which is for sure. But going back to healthcare, the problem is that there are not enough doctors. Good point. So, of course, in a physical encounter with healthcare professional is the ideal thing. But the ratio between doctors and patients is just going the wrong way because the population is growing. It's growing older, they have more issues. There's less money and there's less doctors. There's actually the number, total number of doctors actually going down. <laughs> and so, yes, of course, but you're going to have to have a mediated interaction. And, and I actually think that even though I just said before, the healthcare, the regulator always catches up a bit late. In healthcare, it's so dangerous that I hope that no sensible company will roll out LLMs to their consumers if they're not certified or approved or yeah because the stakes are too high mm. and this is where you know we think we have an edge because having mm. a lot of the the kind of founding blocks already in place enables us to deliver a chatbot to a client because we obviously do this for clients so we can do one for a health insurer or for a retail pharma and we can do it quick and it's going to be validated mm. auditable yeah. explainable so you can go in and say okay yeah. why did you say that oh we said that because we found these two phrases in this article da, da, da. and that's going to be because i think that it would be difficult to build a commercial building a product 
if you cannot explain it. Yeah. So no, no blue chip company will buy from you. And so there'll be no challenge with the open with the uh, the closed box issue that you get with ChatGPT. Then I can tell you, I'm convinced that you will not see GPT launch under somebody else's brand in healthcare. Mm. It's too risky. Where's the liability? How do you prove it? So it will have to be more customized systems like ours where you can go in and show everything and say, well, the, the AI did this because of this reason. This is when the logs, it happened yesterday, 3.22 p.m. The user said this, we said that because of that, and, that, and you have your audit, and you're insured, we're insured, for example. You know, it took us two years to get insured. Yeah. Because if I license my technology to Boots or you know an insurer, you know, what happens? Something goes wrong, I need mm-hmm. the insurance. Again, you know, you can't do that overnight. <laughs> Go to an insurer and say, oh, we're doing a chat GPT thing. And they should say, oh, great. Okay, the, the premium is, you know, $2 million a year premium to cover you because it's so risky. I'd love to uh, hear the risk assessor's story on that one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting chats, you know, long chats with uh, lawyers. <laughs> Spent a lot of money with lawyers in the last eight years, I can tell you that. <laughs> I like that. Sure. Well, you, you, do you know what, Matteo? I mean, yeah, you, you say it, you know, part in jest, but that's also very true. It's also, um, it gives us, it gives a sense of comfort that you have spent so much money with lawyers over the past few years. It shows that you're doing things in the right way. Not you to know, my investors, sure. yeah. Not to my well, investors. Well, of course, yeah. of course. Take a long-term <laughs> view, investors. Take a long-term yeah. view, please. People doing the right things in the right way. That's what you want to bet on in the long term. Um, but yeah, no, listen, Mateo, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on. I think it, it is reassuring and comforting to learn and know that there are people that know what they're doing on this side of uh, that technology. Um, you've got a heck of a lot of experience. You're building healthily and have done so for eight years with all of this in mind. And actually, yeah, uh, your views on large angle resorts and where we're going are very much appreciated. So for everybody listening, if you want to grab the newsletter, you can head to www.healthtechpigeon.com or just search for Health Tech Pigeon. You will find it. It is the only one. Um, and yeah, thank you, Matteo. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Hugh. Uh, we'll see you next week.